privilege to be able to open up the Word of God for you today, uh, in which we're going to do not so much a sermon this morning as really, hopefully I've been praying a practical Bible study for you all. If you recall, last week we finished our series on how to be a first responder to the gospel for the glory of God, and next week we'll be starting a new series on the book of Colossians, a book that exalts the sufficiency and supremacy of Jesus Christ. But for this week we're going to do something a little bit different. If you haven't noticed, it's that time of year again when the weather grows cold and the leaves begin to change and people start filling their yards up with unique decorations in preparation for that one special fall day soon approaching. Of course, you know it as Election Day. (laughs) Yes, lest you've managed to avoid the avalanche of ads over the last few months, Election Day is Tuesday, November 3rd, just over two weeks away, in which Americans from all walks of life will in freedom go to the ballot box and independently cast their votes for those individuals who will most closely represent their personal views while in government. In comparison to most of world societies and indeed world history, what will happen in two weeks here in America is quite unique. The idea that an individual can have a voice in their government and have a say over who gets to represent them is a special privilege and responsibility that we possess by God's grace and providence. As such, this election has been at the forefront of so many Americans thinking that I guarantee you there are two basic types of people here this morning. Some of you are thinking, oh please pastor, talk about politics, I've been thinking about nothing else. And others are thinking, oh please pastor, don't say anything about politics at all, I've been hearing nothing else. I'm proud to announce this morning that I'm going to disappoint both of you. (laughs) This morning, I'm going to open up God's Word and show you three ways that we are to pray for those in authority. This is not in response to this or any other election, I want you to know. This is in response to my own private study of God's Word, seeing what Scripture commands me to do as a believer. And it's also a response of trying to put feet to the truth as your pastor here at this church. You see, we learned a few weeks ago that we as believers are uh, in the church to be devoted together in prayer. We are to be devoted to the throne of grace together as God's people. Grace Chapel ought to be known as a praying church. Well, Scripture tells us some of the things that we ought to be praying for. And one of those things we as a church ought to be praying for is for those who are in high positions of authority over us. One of those places where this occurs is where our scripture reading was this morning, 1 Timothy chapter 2. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, if you'd like to turn there this morning, Paul is laying out God's plan for worship in the church. And he begins it all in verse 1 by telling the young pastor Timothy... First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Not pray for just some people, pray for all people. God sends the rain on the just and the unjust, 
And we are to send our prayers up to God for them as well. Pray for all people, Paul tells us here. And then Paul gives us a specific example. An example that would have been very hard for the early church to pray for. Paul says in verse 2, pray for kings and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Pray for kings and all who are in high positions. Notice what Paul says. He says pray for them, not pray against them or pray about them. Pray for them. Pray for their eternal good. Whether they're set up as a king over you, or whether they are set up by God as simply a high position of authority over you. We as believers and as a church ought to devote ourselves to praying for them. Pray for those who are in authority. Well, that's something that I want to do as a follower of Jesus Christ, and that's something that I want us as a church to begin doing as well. The question is, how? I've heard many sermons that we ought to pray for those in high positions of authority. But the question is, how do we pray for those in high positions of authority? Thus began a nearly four-month private study of my own, the results of which I've been encouraged to share with you today, even as we're approaching a national election and begin as a church, praying weekly for those in authority. How do we pray for those in authority? I'd like to offer you this morning three ways that we can pray in relationship to those who are in authority over us. I'd encourage you, please take notes this morning and hold on to them as guidance for the next few weeks, months, and God willing, it'll be a habit in your life for many years. First, be thankful to God would be the first guideline I'd give in how to pray for those in authority. Be thankful to God. Second, be prayerful for them. Third, be mindful of ourselves. Be mindful of ourselves. So these are three ways that we can pray in relationship to those in authority over us. Be thankful to God. Be prayerful for them. Be mindful of ourselves. But before we begin, let's ask the Lord to bless the teaching and receiving of his word today, which the insolent do not fear, but which causes our hearts to delight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that we get to approach you in prayer today. Father, you who are exalted above all the earth, you who are sovereign over all the affairs of men, in whose eyes the greatest of men is but a grasshopper in your sight, but a a fog that quickly vanishes away. Father, we thank you this morning that we approach you, the eternal King, grounded firmly on your throne in heaven, reigning daily, continually in justice, in righteousness, in mercy, and compassion. We thank you that you are God. And we thank you that beneath you, are submitted every earthly power on earth and in heaven, every power that exists. Father, you reign supreme. This morning we seek to submit ourselves to you, to your commands, to your guidance, 
as citizens of your kingdom, as those saved by your Son, as those who have been adopted into your family. Father, we want to honor you. We want to glorify you as your people and as your church. So guide us by your truth this morning. Show us how we ought to pray and how we ought to pray for those in authority over us. May we be faithful in this that is commanded first of all. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When we consider how we ought to pray in relation to those in authority over us, the first thing we must remember is to be thankful to God. It can be easy to overlook, but Paul does say there in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high authority. When we think about how to pray for those in authority, a part of that consideration has to be how can we thank God for them? And regardless of who we're praying for, regardless of what their positions or policies may be, we can always thank God for their position of authority. At a very general level, we need to remember as Christians that positions and structures of authority exist for our good from the hand of God. They exist to restrain evil and to encourage human flourishing. Think about it. The family was instituted by God for this purpose. The church was instituted by God for this purpose. And the government was instituted by God for this purpose as well. To restrain evil and to encourage human flourishing. As Romans 13, 3-4 says this, Rulers are God's servants for your what? Good. Government is good. It is good for society. That's what Scripture says. It restrains evil and it promotes peace. Even when Adam was first created in the garden, God was king over him, was he not? Structures of authority are good. That is why after God created Adam, he gave him dominion. There was to be authority in even a perfect world. In the new heaven and the new earth, who will reign as king? God will. And there will be kingdoms bringing their wealth to the new Jerusalem. Government is good. In our fallen society, it restrains evil and it promotes peace. When you do not have government, you have chaos. If you doubt it, just consider the amount of unrest we have seen in the United States over just the last few months. When the government stands back and police are removed from the situation, how long does it take for deadly chaos to erupt across the city? We've seen the answer, literally minutes. That's the human heart. That is the level of depravity and corruption that is created by the fall. Everyone wants to say, oh, mankind is inherently good. Put them in a situation where there's no government, and you'll see what mankind's character truly is very quickly. Without the powerful obstacle of civil government restraining the perverse passions of men, humanity shows its real character immediately. 
Scripture supports this, by the way. The book of Judges tells us that when there was no king in Israel, every man did what was right in their own eyes. And lest you think that's a good thing, read the last three chapters of the book of Judges. It'll make your skin crawl. It is better for an individual to live in the forest among the animals and beasts than to live in an uncivilized society. An unrestrained, ungoverned society. Without government, fallen world, it's chaos. So even when you don't like their person, or you don't like their policies or platforms, you'd better thank God for their position of authority over us. Because they are God's servant for your what? Good And notice, they're God's servant. That's what Romans 13 teaches. No matter who we're talking about, God's sovereignty does not end at the ballot box. Daniel 2.21 says of God, He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. See, God is the one who ultimately determines who occupies positions of authority over us. And we need to remember that in our prayers by being thankful to God. God, thank you, we could pray, for this public servant. We recognize that they have been appointed by you and that their position of authority over us exists for our good and is needed. This is how you pray for those in authority. Be thankful to God. Second, be prayerful for them. Be prayerful for them. Even as we thank God in recognizing that rulers are God's servant for our good, immediately we feel compelled do we not, to pray that they would fulfill their calling, right? That they would actually rule for our good. And that is appropriate. We ought to be prayerful for them. We ought to pray for those whom God has put over us. And I would put the ways that we ought to pray for those in authority over us into three categories for you this morning. We ought to pray first for their eternal salvation. Second, we ought to pray for their personal character. And third, we ought to pray for their public rule. Pray for their eternal salvation, their personal character, and their public rule. So first, we ought to pray for their eternal salvation. As we have already been seeing, Paul calls us there in 1 Timothy chapter 2. He calls for churches to pray for, he says, all people, for kings and for all who are in high positions. But in verse 3, We're told why, and I'll talk about this a little bit more later in the message. It's because at the heart of the matter, God is our Savior, and He desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So if God desires all people to be saved, and then we ought to pray for all people to be saved, including kings and all who are in high positions of authority. That's how we're to pray for those in authority over us. We ought to pray for their eternal salvation. You say, okay, but many of them are walking as an enemy of the cross. I mean, shouldn't we pray for God to judge them? Well, listen, I want you to consider this morning that we don't need to worry about that. God will judge every sin. That is fixed and certain. 
So sinners do not need someone praying for their judgment. Sinners need someone praying for their salvation. And then that's what we are to do. We saw last week from Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 28, that we are to pray for our enemies. We are to pray for those who persecute us. I don't care who's in government and how bad they are. You ought to be praying for their salvation. Even in 2 Timothy chapter 2, where Paul is describing false teachers who are are infinitely greater threats to believers than anyone who will ever occupy public office, Paul still says in verses 25 through 26 that the prayer of our heart ought to be that God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and that they would come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. That ought to be our prayer as well. So often we look at people who do not know know Christ in government and we say, can you believe that they're pushing for this? Can you believe that they are making these decisions? My response would be, what else do you expect them to do when they do not know God and they do not know His Son, Jesus Christ? Sinners will sin. They must come to know the Savior. They are not someone to be judged. They are someone to be pitied and prayed for that they might be saved. This is to be the believer's heart towards those especially in authority. We ought to pray for their eternal salvation. Second, we ought to pray for their personal character. Even if they're not a believer, we should still pray for those in authority over us that they would demonstrate a certain character of life while they're in office. The first that I would mention to you this morning is that they would acknowledge the one true God. And this is one way that we can pray for someone in government no matter who they are. And that they would just be someone who acknowledges God as God. This is foundational to everything they will ever do in their personal and public life. Psalms 14 verse 1 says this, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. We don't want foolishness in high places, do we? We don't want someone foolish ruling over us. We want wisdom. Therefore, we want to pray at the very least that those in authority over us will acknowledge the one true God of Scripture as God. After all, Proverbs 9 verse 10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And that ought to lead us to our second point regarding character, that they would not only acknowledge the one true God, but also we ought to pray for their personal character, that they would walk in wisdom. James describes two categories of wisdom in James chapter 3. James says in James three thirteen through 18, Who is wise? And understanding among you. This is what James says. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. A lot of people think they're wise, right? The wise person, though, doesn't write blogs about it. The wise person simply lives out wisdom. uh, And he demonstrates his wisdom meekly, humbly, in everyday life. That's the wise person. But if you have 
Verse 14, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. When you're trying to consider how should I pray for someone in government, that's a great passage to go to, James chapter 3. I want to encourage you as your pastor to pray for those in authority along these lines. First, pray that our leaders would not be marked by earthly wisdom. Earthly wisdom, which is described in verse 14. Pray for your leaders that they would not be bitter and resentful individuals. Pray that they would not be jealous and envious people. Pray that they would not be driven by selfish ambition in their decisions. Pray that they would not be proud and arrogant. Pray that they would not lie nor be false to the truth. Because that is not heavenly wisdom. That is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Pray for this. That they would not be marked by these things. Because when these vices rule in a nation, and in the hearts and actions of a leader, disorder and every vile practice will erupt. That's what verse 16 says. So pray for our leaders that they would not be marked by earthly wisdom, but rather pray that they would be marked by heavenly wisdom, as verse 13 and 17 describe. So pray for your leaders that they would be meek and humble individuals. Pray that they would be pure and open in their motives of governance. Pray that they would be gentle and kind Pray that they would be open to reason and open to advice. Pray that they would be full of mercy and compassion towards those they are ruling over. Pray that they would be full of goodness and virtue. Pray that they would be impartial and fair. Pray that they would be honest and sincere. It doesn't matter who we're talking about. We need someone ruling. We we should pray for someone ruling over us who will be marked by heavenly, not by earthly wisdom. Pray for this because when these virtues rule in the hearts and actions of a leader, we are told in verse 18 that peace and righteousness springs up under their rule. So we ought to pray for their personal character of our leaders that they would acknowledge God That they would walk in true wisdom, not according to this world, but according to God. Acknowledge that they would acknowledge God and walk in wisdom for our good. So pray for their eternal salvation, pray for their personal character, and then third, pray for their public rule. Pray for their public rule, and this can be something that can be prayed for no matter what type of character they have. First, pray that their decrees, their rule, would be just 
Romans 13, 3 through 4 says the rulers are God's servants for our good, but it also makes clear that those rulers fulfill their calling fully when they are ruling righteously and justly. Romans 13, 3 through 4 says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Right? Would you have no fear of the IRS? Don't cheat on your taxes. Right? He says, Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So government, when it's functioning properly, is to punish evil, we're told here, and to reward good. Peter says over in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 14, that rulers have been instituted to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Well, listen, ladies and gentlemen, a ruler can't do that when, as Isaiah 5.20 says, he's calling evil good and good evil, then they're totally messed up. So we ought to pray that they would understand justice rightly, that they would understand justice as it is described in the Bible, that they would describe evil as being evil and good as being good, not vice versa. As Proverbs 14.34 says this, Righteousness exalts a nation. But, a, but sin is a reproach to any people. You can call it good till you're blue in the face. It'll be a reproach. So we ought to pray for those in authority. We ought to pray that their rule would be just. Second, we ought to pray that their rule would be selfless. So critical. Jeremiah 29 verse 7 says this, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. We ought to pray for those in authority that they would rule for the welfare of the city and not for their own benefit or gain. Proverbs 28 verse 21 says this, To show partiality is not good, but for a piece of bread a man will do wrong. We ought to pray for those in authority over us that they would rule selflessly on behalf of others, not selfishly, on behalf of themselves. Deuteronomy 16, 19 says this, You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality. You shall not accept the bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. We need to pray that that would not happen among those that are in authority over us. We need to pray for those who rule over us that their rule would be just that their rule would be selfless. So how ought we to pray for those in authority? We ought to pray for their salvation. We ought to pray for their character. And we ought to pray for their rule. We need to be thankful to God, prayerful for them. And then finally, I want you to consider, we ought to be mindful of ourselves when we consider how we're praying for those in authority. And for this, I want us to finish with the passage we began with and we started with, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-4, through 4, if you still have it open in front of you. As we're praying over those over us, we need to remain mindful of ourselves. And we need to pray for ourselves in relationship to their rule. We ought to be mindful first that we remain prayerful. Second, that we remain submissive. And that third, that we remain focused. 
1 Timothy 2, 1-4 teaches us that when it comes to praying for ourselves in relation to those over us, we need to pray that we would remain prayerful, submissive, submissive, and focused. So let's consider this in closing. Paul teaches first that we should remain prayerful. We should remain prayerful. Paul instructs us here in 1 Timothy 2, 1-2 that we remain prayerful for those in authority over us. He says, first of all, I urge that prayers be made for kings and for all who are in high positions. We need to be praying for them. We must remain prayerful. So often when the person is in office that we like, we'll pray for them. And when someone is in office that we don't like, we won't. And we cease to be faithful in obeying this command. We must remain prayerful. This is to be the focus of the church. Not to protest or to praise public officials, but to pray for them. When we see an area of weakness or concern... Our immediate reaction should not be to take it to the internet or to take it to the streets, but to take it to the throne of God, to the only one who can truly make a difference. He's the one who both appoints and directs those in government. As Proverbs 21 verse 1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in whose hand, not the electorate, In the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he wills. Because of that, no matter who's in office, we must remain prayerful. Second, in praying for those over us, we must must stay mindful that we remain submissive. Paul introduces a causal relationship there in verse 2 of chapter 2 of 1 Timothy when he says this, I urge that prayers be made. Why? End of verse 2. He says that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. That is a cause and effect statement. Paul is saying that we need to remain prayerful. Why? So that we would remain submissive. That's what he's talking about. That we would remain prayerful so that we would remain peaceful. That we would lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. See, lots of people have looked at that phrase there at the end of verse few, I think, verse two, humorously, I think, and say, Oh, the reason why we have to pray is so that government does what it's supposed to do. And if government does what it's supposed to do, then we can do what we're supposed to do, live peaceful and quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way. Verse 3, effectively advancing the gospel. But that is not what this verse says. (laughs) And that doesn't even make any sense at all. Just think about it with me. The only way that we can live peaceful and quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way, the only way that we can effectively advance the gospel is if we have the right people and government... Man, what gospel do you believe? In fact, that is not true. That is not true. The only way we can live peaceful and quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way, the only way that we can effectively advance the gospel is if we devote ourselves to prayerful submission no matter who's in office. That's what Paul is teaching. The gospel going forth is not dependent on anyone in public office. The gospel going forth is absolutely dependent on the church remaining in prayer and remaining peaceful because of it. Oh, beloved, we've lost this. But that is exactly what Paul is teaching. 
The issue, as long as obeying government does not force us into disobeying God, I must remain in prayerful submission to those in authority over us, recognizing them that they have been instituted by God and that they are submitted to God's authority. And by submitting to them, I'm submitting to him. I'm submitting to those whom God has put over me. It's exactly what you tell your kids, right? When they don't want to obey you. By submitting to us as parents, you're submitting to God who's put us over you. It's the exact same way as government. Exact same way. The issue of effective Christian witness and outreach is not who's in government. The issue is, am I remaining submissive in prayer? In fact, for thousands of years, Christians have had their most effective witness and outreach during the most worst of governments and oppressive of regimes. The blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. So again, the issue of living peaceful and quiet lives and the issue of the gospel going forth effectively has nothing to do with who's in government. And it has everything to do whether we're remaining submissive to those who are in government, prayerfully submissive to God in prayer. In other words, this is what Scripture says. Rather than protest, pray. Don't take it to the streets. Take it to the throne before you take it anywhere else. The reason why we as a church must remain prayerful for those in government is so that we as a church would remain peaceful towards those in government, so that we as a church would remain submissive. You say, well, why is that so important? Because, I mean, submissive, submission doesn't feel good, right? It didn't feel good when I was a kid to my parents, right? It doesn't feel good now that I'm an adult to my government. Why is this so important to be submissive to those in authority? It's because our attitude towards government will either create an opportunity for the gospel to go forth, or it will create an obstacle. Which brings us to our final point. When it comes to praying for ourselves in relation to those over us, we need to pray that we would remain prayerful, submissive, and finally that we would remain focused. Verses 3 through 4. Paul tells us that in verses 1 through 2, that rather than protest, we ought to pray. We ought to remain prayerfully submissive. Why? Verse 3. For this is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. See, in other words, the reason why we ought to pray rather than protest, the reason why we ought to live peaceful lives grounded in prayer, is because God desires all people to be saved. All people. Every one of them. Listen. Beloved, I'm saying this in love. You're going to have a hard time leading someone to the Lord if you're more known for your politics than your piety and devotion to Jesus. So remain prayerful. Remain submissive so that you can remain focused on God's saving mission. You don't want to put an obstacle in anyone's way. Least of all, our own opinions about how government ought to function and work. We need to remain prayerful so that we can remain submissive, so that we can remain focused on what really matters. Not all Democrats go to hell. Not all Republicans go to heaven. That doesn't matter at all. What matters is, have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Because if you don't, you'll go to hell with your politics. 
We need to stay focused on what really matters. 1 Timothy 2, 13-15 says this, Be subject for the Lord's sake. The Lord's got a vested interest in this, right? He wants His name proclaimed. He wants to create worshipers for His own glory. So be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme. Study who the emperor was under the apostle Peter. Wow. Or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil or to praise those who do good. You say, well, why? Why remain prayerfully submissive? Verse 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Peter's clear. Our responsibility, no matter the nature of our government, is to live a prayerful, a peaceful, and a quiet life towards our government which will gain for us, Peter says, a good reputation. One that will silence the mouths of those who criticize us. If we do not live a peaceful, prayerful, and quiet life, we forfeit that gospel testimony. And that's literally what's happening in America, has it not? Watch the media if you have any doubt. They will describe evangelicals as a political voting block, how has it come to this? That is why it is essential for us, first of all, to pray. And to pray for those who are over us, no matter their person, no matter their policies, that we might be able to be used by God to draw all people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that is all that matters. As the psalmist said in Psalms 109 verse 4, In return for my love they accuse me, but I will give myself to prayer. I will give myself to prayer. One final way that I think we can be mindful of ourselves as believers in praying to relation to those in government, this is a freebie you can write down, is uh, the only way that those in government who don't know of Jesus Christ will hear the gospel is from a believer. So pray that God would raise up Christians into government like God raised up Daniel in the midst of his government. Raise up that, pray that God would raise up prayerful, submissive, focused believers, right? People who are in government, right? But don't get into government and all of a sudden start thinking politics is most important. But Christians who would get into government and would look at their unsaved people across the aisle and we start give and in their own aisle and give the gospel to them. Pray that God would raise up prayerful, submissive, focused believers who can lead those who are lost around them to faith in Jesus Christ. How else will they hear the gospel unless God raises up believers to give it to them? Man, when I look at government, I see I, I see it like Jesus. Man, the fields are whitened to harvest. Pray that God would raise up workers and laborers for that. So I pray that this has been helpful and practical for you all. This has been something I've been wrestling through in my own personal life. And uh, I hope this is helpful for you as we consider how to put feet to the truth and how we can devote ourselves to prayer and to the throne of grace here as a church body. How should we pray in relation to those who have authority over us no matter who they might be? First, be thankful to God. Be thankful for their position of authority. Second, be prayerful for them. Pray for their salvation, for their character, and for their rule. And then third, be mindful of ourselves. 
that in the midst of all this, we would remain prayerful, we would remain submissive, and we would remain focused on the gospel. For this is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is how to pray for those in authority. And this is the word of God that I give to you today, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we have a Savior named Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is the one who is right now seated at your right hand, whom every power and dominion and rule and authority is subjected to him. We thank you, Father, this morning that he is Lord. We testify that this morning. But Father, we also recognize that He is Savior. And that as Lord, He has given us instructions on how we can carry out His saving mission in this world. So Father, I pray that we would remain prayerful for those who are over us, Father. We thank You for their rule and authority. We thank You for how they govern how they reign in evil and give order to what would be chaos. Father, we do pray for those who are in authority over us in all levels of government. Father, we pray for their eternal salvation. What will it profit if they cut taxes but lose their own soul? What will it matter, no matter what earthly law they pass, if they are judged beneath your divine laws? Our hearts break for them and we pray for their salvation. Father, we pray for their character. Father, I pray that they would acknowledge you as the one true God, that they would not be ensnared by the lies of Satan, but that they would acknowledge that the God of the Bible is the only true God. And I pray that from that, they would would live a life marked by wisdom. Father, help them not to be men marked by earthly wisdom, but help them be marked by the humility of heavenly wisdom. Father, I pray for the rule that it would be just, that they would would condemn what is sin, and that they would reward what is right and good. And I pray that it would be selfless, Father. I pray that what those in government do this next week would be honestly done for what is best for the nation and for our local communities and not what will line their own pockets and their own power. Finally, Father, I just pray for ourselves. Help us to be the church. Help us to remain prayerful. Help us to remain peaceful. And help us to remain focused on the gospel for your honor and for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.